1: Hello, and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us today. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis, and my co host is my adorable service dog, Lovey. <coughs> And we're thrilled to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today we're going to be talking with award-winning author and photographer Tracy Libby about her gorgeous new book, Reporting for Duty, True Stories of Wounded Veterans and Their Service Dogs. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Tracy Libby to the show.
0: Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact.
1: At Red Barn, our pet food ingredients work overtime. They aren't just there for show. Dandelion greens work to maintain a healthy digestive system. Salmon oil works to enhance the immune system. Green-lipped mussels work to support joint health. These hard-working ingredients support your dog's active, healthy life. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food, simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Visit RedBarnInc.com to save a dollar on Red Barn grain-free canned food.
0: Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com
1: Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Today we're so excited to have Tracy Libby with us. Hello Tracy and welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're so glad you could be with us and talk to us today about your gorgeous new book Reporting for Duty. Thanks. I'm
0: so happy, and thank you for helping to spread the word on these amazing service dogs. They're the the amazing veterans, and they're equally amazing service dogs.
1: Yeah, well, we're so happy to do that. And can you start out by telling us what inspired you to write Reporting for Duty?
0: Well, I had been working on a book last year on shelter dogs, on rescue dogs, And in researching that book I came across a picture of a veteran in a wheelchair in a grocery store and he had a service dog with him and the service dog was trained to move or to walk ahead of his wheelchair and alert the veteran to any potential dangers or what the veteran thought might be danger. And so I was immediately struck by how this dog was trained to do this. And, of course, I immediately wanted to know more about our veterans and their service dogs. And I pitched the story to iFive Press's general manager, and uh, he was wholeheartedly backed it from day one. So that's how it all came about.
1: Wow. Yeah. Well, you've got some amazing photos in the book. It's visually so beautiful with the veterans and their dogs. It's just gorgeous. But one of the other things I love about the book is that you also have a lot of historical information in it. Can you tell us some of the history of what you discovered about emotional injuries that our soldiers have suffered throughout history? Because I thought that was really interesting.
0: You know, it was really fascinating, and what I learned was for the first time in American history, large percentages of injured soldiers are returning from the battlefield, having survived their injuries. If you compare that to, say, World War II, where roughly 417,000 soldiers were killed, and then Vietnam, uh, roughly 58,000 were killed, and you look at the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, and we have lost about 6,600 soldiers had been killed. So that's quite a difference. A lot of these, um, you know, modern technology has allowed our soldiers to survive so many more injuries. But in surviving those injuries, they also are coming home with a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder and a lot of traumatic brain injuries, which are kind of the signature injuries of the Iraq and Afghanistan war, and if you look at the um, studies, there was a study done that uh, about 540,000 veterans of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan have PTSD and or stress or depression, and about 310,000 have um, been diagnosed with traumatic brain injuries. So a lot of the uh, military men and women are coming home from the battlefield, but they're also coming home injured. And so that, that was pretty interesting as well.
1: Yeah, well, I know I love that you cover PTSD, which is what we normally hear about so often in the news and media, but we don't hear a whole lot about traumatic brain injury, and we really don't hear a whole lot about military sexual trauma, which I thought was great that you included that in the book. And how do you think that that these folks who are suffering from these, these terrible experiences can benefit from a service dog? What are these dogs doing for them?
0: Well, amazingly, the service dogs... A lot of them are trained to mitigate the effects of PTSD. Some of them are trained for blocking. Not all organizations train for that blocking behavior where they will um, protect the from. Um, you know, our personal space is so important, and a lot of people don't recognize that, but it's very acutely aware to um, people who suffer from PTSD. And so if people get too close to a veteran with PTSD, that can trigger some issues. So a lot of these dogs are trained as a blocking behavior to either go behind the veteran or go out and front of the veteran to keep people at a distance that might be getting too close. Not all organizations train that. It's a little bit controversial in some organizations. But, you know, they also train, the dogs are trained for nightmare interruption. Some are trained to lick the, the veteran's hand or his face or to pull on a blanket to, to wake up the veteran from a uh, nightmare because nightmare, um, reoccurring dreams, flashbacks, those are all part of the PTSD. They're trained to retrieve dropped items, car keys, cell phones. And they can sense increased uh, blood pressure and breathing, so they can. when the dog senses that, they can kind of nudge the veteran, get the veteran's attention back on them, bring them back to the present, and, and if they need to, the, vet, the dog kind of signals, hey, you know, we need to get out of here. We need to get you calmed down. So they're kind of trained to do all these types of things. They're trained to open the refrigerator doors, retrieve medications. They're trained to guide... Um, those that have lost their vision um, or their hearing. A lot of the veterans have um, balance issues because of um, physical injuries. So, you know, they they help with their balance. They help going up and down stairs, help with standing, sitting, all kinds of stuff. It's amazing what these dogs can do for our veterans.
1: Well, it sounds like, you know, as you were listing all those amazing things that the dogs do, it sounds like you were covering every type of assistance dog that there is. Because um, we always think of, of assistance dogs as as guide dogs, you know, that help people with visual loss. But wow. it's, yeah, but it is so amazing because what I've read is that the dogs have to be so multi-talented that they can provide a lot of different physical functions for someone, which is just so amazing. And I have to ask you, in in your work on the book, what types of dogs did you find out were mostly helping our nation's veterans? Well,
0: primarily for the guide dogs, they use the golden retrievers or Labrador retrievers or a cross between goldens and Labrador retrievers. And the majority of those dogs, the guide dogs, are selectively bred through the organizations that train guide dogs. The cost of doing that, to, to raising and training a guide dog, is in what's on fifty dollars to $70,000, which is, is quite an investment. Um, and so, a lot of these dogs, and of course these dogs are, I don't want to say that they're, the work they do is more important than anything that other dogs do, but these people are guiding the blind. They're walking them across streets and, you know, up yeah. down sidewalks <laughs> and in front of moving vehicles. So they have to be the very best of the best. And then a lot of the other other dogs from organizations that are trained for PTSD to retrieve items and stuff, a lot of those are also um, Golden Retrievers and Labrador Retrievers or Crosses. A lot of them are selectively bred, but a lot of the organizations also use service dogs. A lot of them are rescue dogs from shelters, so a lot of those are mixed breed dogs as well. So. hmm And then hearing dogs tend to be small. A a lot of times the the smaller dogs can be used as hearing dogs because they can jump up in the vet you know, in a veteran's lap and say,
1: hey, right. right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, and tell us, how did you identify the veterans that you included in the book? That was really
0: probably the most challenging part of the the book itself, because these are, I like to call them American heroes, because to me, they are heroes. But they don't think of themselves as heroes. They don't really want to be called heroes, and, and they really don't. They kind of balk at that terminology. But they a lot of them don't want to relive the trauma that they endured or suffered on the battlefield, so they don't want to talk about that. They don't want any special treatment. They did what they did, and they volunteered to protect our freedom, and they did it willingly, and they would gladly do it again. And in my book, that makes them heroes.
1: Yeah. So,
0: um, but they didn't want to talk about it, but they were all of them, with exception, with, with you know, no exception, they were all willing to talk about their dogs and the impenetrable <laughs> bond that they have with their dogs and how these dogs saved these veterans' lives. And a lot of these, if, if not all of the veterans I talked to, were teetering on the brink of suicide, which is which is um, uh, um, common with PTSD. And um, all of them said, without their dog, they they wouldn't be here today. It is the dog that saved their lives. And what I find so amazing, and I and I had this very interesting conversation with Erwin Stovroff, who's the World War II veteran in the book, and we marveled at how we have so much modern technology to rebuild body parts, you know, robotic, um, bionic arms and legs and feet and hands, but it is a dog that saves these veterans' lives. It is the dog that pulls them back from the brink of suicide. And to me, that is just amazing that these dogs can do that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, as a person who lives with a service dog, I totally can get that. (laughs) Because, yeah, it is so powerful, that relationship. And I can't imagine what it is like for veterans who've been through so much and who probably feel so isolated and really hard to communicate what they're experiencing. But the level that we communicate with our dogs, the dogs get it. (laughs) So that is just the most beautiful, beautiful relationship. It is. And, you know, one of the veterans
0: um, told me that, you know, your family tries to understand. They want to understand, but they can't understand what you have been through on the battlefield. And so he had said that the dogs are just there. His dog is just there. He doesn't have to explain himself. He doesn't have to justify himself. He doesn't have to do anything but be with his dog, and his dog makes his world so much better. And yeah, it does. It, and if you haven't experienced that bond with a dog, it, sometimes it's hard for people to understand that strong bond. But it's just amazing what these dogs can do for our veterans. It, it's yeah, amazing.
1: It is. It's nothing short of miraculous. But like you're saying, that bond and that respect and the non judgment. You know, yes. it's it's I can only imagine what that is for them, because as as much as they love their families, you know, the family still sometimes can be judgmental or, you know, or can have their own biases. But those dogs don't. They just love you and are thrilled to see you every day.
0: <laughs> right. And they don't ask questions.
1: And right. They don't make judgments. And so that was so amazing to find that. And another one
0: of the veterans. Michael Jernigan, he was severely injured uh, by an IED explosion and he had, uh, you know, here you have these very, these are the best of the best and they are, uh, many of them are special elite forces. They're trained to do incredible work and so they're the big barrel chested freedom fighters. It's not in their nature to ask for help and one veteran, Michael jernigan who is blind was telling me about his dog and he's so funny and he's a third generation um combat marine and he had said that if when he had an experience with his dog and he had said that if you had have told me 10 years ago that a dog could have this much impact on a man's psyche i would have had you drug tested but He was <laughs> not, a, you know he was not a um really he had not been a he wasn't a believer yet. He wasn't yep. a believer until he had a service dog, and then to you know, and going back to Brian Anderson, here's this retired Green Beret who does incredible. I mean, their jobs are incredible, the work they do, and yet he talks about this this beautiful relationship, and he has no hesitation about talking about this incredible relationship he has with his dog. It's so moving to know that these dogs change
1: their lives yeah yeah well it, that it is awesome it's nothing short of awesome and it's even hard to articulate how incredible it really is well we are going to take just a quick break and hear some important messages from our sponsors but we're going to come back and continue visiting with Tracy Libby about her book and we have lots more questions for her so come right back after these quick messages
0: we'll be right back right after these messages stay tuned
1: front paw sleeves and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. designerpetsweaters.com
0: Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio.
1: Pet Life Radio. Petlife Radio. We .com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. We're visiting today with author and photographer, Tracy Libby, and she's sharing with us the whole process of her incredible book, Reporting for Duty. And I have to ask you, Tracy, we were talking about some of the veterans that you interviewed for your book, and I was wondering, how did you find in your research the service dog organizations who are actually training and placing dogs with veterans?
0: It was really just a matter of a lot of research And as I had mentioned before, a lot of these veterans don't want to talk about, you know, their experiences. So it was really hard to get the veterans to talk. But. The service organizations, most of them were very good about providing me access because there's a whole issue with privacy which is understandable. So a lot of the veterans, um, my information was given to the organizations and then the organizations passed along that information and many of the veterans then contacted me. But it's just a matter of just researching and there there are so many organizations out there doing so much work to help these veterans and to train these service dogs to help our veterans.
1: Yeah. And did you visit, did you go physically to those organizations or did you do most of your interviews by phone or how did that work? Well,
0: most of the veterans I had multiple conversations with on the telephone because a lot of them, I'm in Oregon, and a lot of them are on the East Coast, a lot of them in Florida, one down in Arizona, so it was difficult to visit them in person, but I did have talked with them for hours and hours on the phone, and of course, we do have some service dog organizations in Oregon here, so I had visited those, and so that's kind of how that worked.
1: Wow, that sounds like such a fun project.
0: It was. And, you know, I have to say that it was to talk with these veterans about their service dogs. I don't know how anybody talks to these veterans and listens to them and hears their stories. So I talk to their moms and dads, too. I talk to their family members. I talk to their daughters. And to talk to them and hear these veterans, some of them were more involved in, you know, what happened on the battlefield. A lot of them weren't. But to talk to them and to hear the intonation in their voices, to hear their sadness, to hear their just complete joy at their service dogs. I don't know how anybody listens to these people and hears their stories and talks to them and puts a a face to their names and doesn't walk away from that completely changed in a positive way how do you talk to these people and hear these stories and then walk away unchanged it has forever changed my life how um just meeting these people
1: oh that's so lovely
0: You know, so when, you know, we see on the news a lot about um, the casualties of war, but when you talk to them and you hear their voices and you talk to their families and you see how, you know, it's not just the veterans, it's their families that have struggled as well, Um, their moms, their dads, their wives, their husbands, their sisters, their brothers, the whole family sacrifices. So and to hear the sacrifices the families have also gone through is amazing as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's the dog helps the veteran, but like you said, it also helps all of these secondary people of family members. And yeah, it's it's just, it's never ending.
0: It is. And you know, a, a number of the veterans have told me that their service dog kept their family together. And one of the service dogs, he, the veteran had told me that the dog keeps him together and the dog keeps the family together. So it works with the whole family. So it's not just for the, for the veteran itself, but for the whole family as well. And so many of them talk about how they are, are housebound. One veteran from the Vietnam War, it was almost a 40 year journey for him back from, you know, Vietnam to a small town in Indiana where he was able to finally get a service dog and eventually get out and drive. He hadn't driven in years. He hadn't slept in his own bed in years. He was isolated and this service dog got him outside and I remember he had called me and told me that he drove for the first time in like five years, and he didn't go very far. He only went about 20 miles, but he said it was his service dog that got him out of the house. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. he was just just isolated from the rest of the world.
1: Yeah, all the things that we take for granted as everyday things. That's Mm -hmm. amazing.
0: It is amazing what we take for granted, you know. It it is Mm -hmm. amazing what we take, you know, and going out in public is very traumatic for a lot of the veterans with PTSD. Going to the grocery store, I found, was, uh, you know, just just horribly traumatic for them. You know, a can of peas falling off the shelf, um, a yeah. shopping start banging together. All of these things can trigger PTSD, and so it's really traumatic for them, and these dogs, these dogs hold them together.
1: Well, one of the other things I loved about your book is that you mentioned the puppy prison programs. Can you tell us about what you discovered about puppy prisons?
0: Yes, that was, you know, that was probably... It was pretty amazing, because having written about dogs and having trained dogs for a number of years, my first inclination was, I mean, training dogs isn't rocket science, but how does an inmate qualify as a dog trainer? That was why I kept asking. These are dogs that are are trained to do such incredible tasks. They're trained to lead the blind, and, you know, so, but it came down to basically that these dogs are, the puppies, these inmates, they have a lot of time on their hands because they're not going anywhere, so these Inmates are with the dogs 24 hours a day. They live in the cells with the inmates, and these inmates socialize them. They train them, and they're very well supervised by the organizations um, that go once a week or so to the prisons, and they show them what they need to train these dogs to do. And they found that the dogs coming out of the prison program are so much more advanced than some of the dogs coming from the volunteer puppy raisers that were with such a traditional type, um, you know, program.
1: I love that. That makes so much sense to me. That's just so awesome. And in fact, Lovey and I are getting to go visit a puppy prison program this week that we're really excited about. But it, it just is, it seems like such a great use of such limited resources, because as we know, there's such a greater need for trained dogs than the number of dogs that are actually available. So if prisoners can participate in that and do something positive, I think that's awesome.
0: It is, and a lot of these vet or a lot of the inmates, their lives are then changed as well because they're learning oh, yeah. to to work on. And several of the dogs, Kent Fife's dog Mike, came out of the prison program, and did Brian Anderson's dog Hero. He came out of the prison program as well, and so they're both very involved in those programs as well. And and a lot of the programs, the dogs will come home. Or not come home, but they'll come out of the prison on Friday nights. And so they, they get socialized to the outside world as well to some, you know, the steps and the traffic and the noises and restaurants and bus stations and all that type of stuff. And then they go back to the prison on, say, um, Sunday night. And then they stay the week there and they're trained to do all types of behaviors.
1: Beautiful. Beautiful. Love that. Yeah. Well, and tell us also about the Shelter to Service program because that was another great point in the book.
0: Yes, the shelter dogs. You know, a lot of the organizations, as I mentioned, they have their very specific breed programs, and they've bred for generations very specific dogs. A lot of the organizations, Canines for Warriors is one, and they use the majority of their dogs are dogs rescued from shelters that are just days away from euthanasia. And one of the stories in the book is about um, James Kuyken. He has a service dog from... Kentucky high kill shelter and it's kind of an amazing story because he's in Virginia and the dog was on you know just days away from being euthanized in a Kentucky shelter and they both ended up in Florida and they both ended up together which is pretty amazing so a, a veteran from Virginia and a dog from Kentucky ended up in Florida and they ended up as service dogs <laughs> together so a lot of them um, you know they found that their the success rate with shelter dogs is quite a bit lower than the planned breeding selective breeding programs but they're using you know some most of the Organizations are rescuing dogs. There are some requirements, usually 14 months to 3 years old, that some of them, you know, up to 60 pounds, that type of stuff. And they have people that go around and they work with people in the shelters who assess the dogs. And and the percentage of shelter dogs is somewhat lower, but in the process they are rescuing. The shelter dogs are one way of helping reduce the number of veterans dying each year by suicide, and while simultaneously helping injured vets return to civilian life and keeping dogs from being euthanized in shelters.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I have heard that that the numbers are a little bit lower, but boy, if it saves one dog, you know, it just seems so worth it. So that's it, yeah. wonderful.
0: Yeah, and as so I had mentioned, James Pike and dogs dog freedom came from a shelter. And it's just amazing what this shelter dog, just days away from being euthanized, has done for this veteran. So in a way, yeah. and Mr. Kiken had mentioned that several of the, you know, he had the, his dog, Freedom, had um, some issues of his own. So together they worked through the issues after he was trained. When they came <laughs> home, he, they worked through their issues together. So they kind of saved each other, which was amazing, too.
1: That's great. Well, and you also mentioned in your book an organization called Veterans Moving Forward. Can you tell us about who are those folks?
0: Well, Veterans Moving Forward was started by Karen Jeffries, a retired Navy commander, and I know a portion of the proceeds of the book are donated to Veterans Moving Forward, which is a nonprofit organization that trains service dogs, but I'm not affiliated with them in any way. I met Karen Jeffries doing research for the book, and she was so helpful in setting me up with some of the veterans and putting me in contact with the veterans and helping me with some of the military jargon because I, I you know, like wounded the terminology. I use soldiers kind of generically, although that's very specific to the army. So um, she was very helpful in in helping me with the veterans, putting me in contact with the veterans. The general manager of IPRI Press had wanted to donate a portion of the proceeds to veteran or to an organization and. They chose veterans moving forward. So I'm not affiliated with them. I I don't know them other than I've gotten to know Karen Jeffries and her amazing organization and the work that she does. But all of the organizations are equally amazing, and they do amazing work for our
1: veterans. Yeah. Well, that's so great that a part of the proceeds can go to a veterans group. That makes it even better (laughs) and even sweeter that they benefit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I have to ask you, there are so many incredible stories. Is there one dog and veteran that you interviewed? I don't want to say that's your favorite, because (laughs) I'm sure they're all your favorite. But is there one team that sticks out in your mind the most? Well, you know, interestingly, I've been asked that question before, and it's so hard because it's
0: like asking a parent to pick his or right. her favorite child. You know? <laughs> um, all of the veterans touched Me in various ways for various reasons. Their stories are all amazing. They're all incredible stories. And you know, there's the World War II veteran who, who was shot down over Nazi occupied France and went on to start his own foundation. You know, there's Kathy Champion who is spent 27 years in the military and is, is blind and has serious physical injuries, but she's 50 years old and she runs in marathons, she competes in (laughs) triathlons. These people are such an inspiration. And one person that really struck me as well was, um, I had mentioned him before, James Tyken and his dog, Freedom. He's a third-generation military man, and he was deployed into seven war zones. He went to Bosnia, Kosovo, Kuwait, Iraq, Afghanistan. He was the sergeant major of the Marine Forces Pacific, which is one of the highest combatant commands in the Marines. He has a Purple Heart, combat action ribbons. And you have to, you know, mental illness in our country is very stigmatized. Nobody wants to talk about it. So it's, it's understandable that a lot of these veterans don't want to come out and say, I have a problem and I need help. You know, it's just not their nature because these are like the best of the best in the military. And Mr. Kaiken, who's a very high ranking marine, retired marine, he- said that if, you know, if, if he can step out and say, I need help, then he's hoping that other veterans or, you know, will come out and say, I, can, I yes. need help you. Yes. You know, one of the statistics that I found is that, you know, we lost 6,600 veterans roughly, or, you know, soldiers in Iraq and Afghanistan, yet we're losing 22 veterans a day to suicide. That's one veteran every 65 minutes. Mm, we're losing ugh. more veterans, like almost 9,000 veterans a year to suicide. We're losing more veterans a year to suicide than we lost in the Iraq and Afghanistan Wars. So Mr. Kaiken told me if he can step out a high-ranking military man can step out and say I need help then maybe those below him in rank you know can step out and say, gosh, if you know, James Tiken needs help, I need help too. Maybe I need help. And maybe they can get a service dog and maybe they can move forward with their lives as well. So his story was very inspiring in that sense because a lot of them um, you know, the veterans don't want to come out and admit that they need help.
1: Well, that's yeah, I can only imagine how many veterans it's impacting, and that yes, exactly. If they see someone else doing it that they admire and respect, then it sure makes it a lot, a lot easier and opens doors for so many others to come forward. Which, gosh, those rates of loss is just we just can't have that. We have to do something, and this is doing something. These dogs are doing something, which is just so amazing.
0: Yeah, and to bring awareness to the so, you know, a lot of the veterans don't realize there are service dogs out there. And there's a couple of interesting stories in the book also about the canine co-therapists, about the dogs. There's Lexi. And then there's Neil, who are at ones that was at Fort Bragg now at Fort Collins, and the other ones at Camp Lejeune. And these dogs, the, the therapists had told me that when the veterans, or well, actually these are active duty service people, they would never utilize the services of the therapist at the base. And so they had to figure out how do I get these, you know, these. People to set aside their bravado and come into my office and talk to me and hopefully, you know, head off some of the the stress and depression issues. So they they bought in these dogs, these two dogs, and then the military people started to come by to see the dog. And "Ah, I came by to see Lex here, I came by to see Neil, and then all of a sudden, their people are coming by, and now they're booked all the time, and they're coming in and they start to talk about, not necessarily about their deployment, but they might talk about their dogs at home, they might talk about, you know, the dog they had as a child, and then that gets them talking and then once they get them talking, the dogs get them in the door, and then once they can get them talking, then they can help them. And that's that's a huge impact
1: mm, that these it are having is. Well. It's so fantastic. Well Tracy, thank you so much for being with us today. We could talk about this all day with you. We did, and we hope yeah. you'll we hope you'll come back and tell us about your future projects. But but just before we go quickly, how can our listeners get more information about the book? How can they purchase the book? Can you tell us quickly? Yes, the book is available on Amazon.com. It's also available
0: at most of the bookstores, um, you know, all the bookstores... Borders, Barnes & Noble, some of the Petco's, PetSmart's, they carry them as well but it's available online and they can Google that and they can also, in the book there's a number of organizations, links to organizations that train service dogs that, and they can get information. You know, as I had mentioned the funding for these dogs is all private funding. There's no government funding in training these dogs. It's all private donations. So they can go online and they can find out how they can help to donate or they can help to fund the training of these dogs, and it, and it is expensive. And you know, a guide dog, fifty to seventy thousand dollars. A PTSD trained dog can be anywhere from eight thousand to twenty thousand dollars. And so, it's all private funding, all donations. And they can go online and learn about more. They can search the organizations that are in
1: the book and learn more
0: about that as well
1: that's great well thank you so much for being with us and thank you our listeners for being with us and please keep those emails coming we love to hear from you and you can contact us at Marcy M-A-R-C-I-E at PetLifeRadio.com and you can also follow Working Like Dogs on Facebook and Twitter and at WorkingLikeDogs.com so thanks so much and take good care